As we look ahead to a new year, we want to take a look ahead to a new kingdom. We'll take a prophetic look at the future here this month on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Join us. Valley Bible Church in Hercules. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Greetings in Christ and welcome to our broadcast. We would invite you to join us today as we begin a series called What in the World is Going to Happen? Now we'll present to you just a portion of this series here in the month of January. The entire series will be available for a discounted price to those who get a hold of us early here in the month of January and we'll tell you about it at the close of our broadcast. But for now, catch up with us. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. It's where we begin today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You need to pick up the feel of Peter's, what he's saying. These scoffers undo ancient history and deny great uh, divine interruptions. And the greatest interruption was the worldwide flood in Genesis 8 through 10. They deny it. They say there was no such thing. They would deny that the Red Sea opened. They would deny that Jordan was held back. They would deny all miracles. They would deny the resurrection of Christ. They're anti-miraculous and they're uniformitarian in their view of history. Everything just continues the same as we empirically observe it now. Not true. There has been divine interruptions in history. He even made the sun stand still for Joshua. But they say none of that happened. And what eases their mind, if they could blot out any divine interruption in history in the past, it's an effort to deliver them from any fear of divine interruption in the future. And Peter says the same God that brought a worldwide deluge and flood back here is the same God that has a date to burn up the heavens and the earth. Then he goes on. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then he begins to tell them how we should live in light of this. Now notice this. The scoffers are saying, this God of yours, you said he's coming again. Where is he? 
He's sure slowpoke. He can't keep an appointment. And then all of a sudden, Peter says, God's daytimer doesn't run like yours. For God, from God's point of view, it's only been two days since Mount Calvary. 33 AD, we're not even the full 2,000 years, but in God's reckoning, it's only been two days. Time is a lot different for God. We're dots that are here for a moment. This God's been around a long time. And he said, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. And he's not slow. <clears throat> he will come right on time, just like he did the first time. But what's an amazing thing, Peter says, salvation is the motive for the, the seemingly delay. And when we look at the coming of Christ today, you'll find out that if you really understand it, you become spiritually schizophrenic about it. I want Christ to come today. Is there anybody that would say that? Does anyone want him to come today? Let me ask you another question. If he came today, would your loved ones be lost? I got a lot of loved ones that don't know him. And so there's one side of me that says, don't come yet, Lord. Wait until you save that last one I've been praying for. Do any of you ever think that way? Most of you want him to come now because April 15th is coming. Get me out of this mess. Get me out of this jam or, you know, but, you know, you can tie it to, you want God's calendar and God's showing up to fit your life, your schedule, your, but no, God says, no, I have these two things working in me too. I'm going to destroy the earth. It, it's going to be just turned into ashes. I, I've already got that on the agenda, but I also want to save people. And it takes patience, and it takes a long time to save all the people I want to save. So I'm not failing to keep my promise. I'm keeping another promise. I'm extending my arms a long time to save so that when men come to the white throne judgment, they can never say God didn't give them enough time. That's the tension. I want him to come. I don't want him to come. If I had an unsaved mother or an unsaved father, it'd be hard for me to say, come today, Jesus. I'd be praying, save my daddy, save my child, and hurry up and do it so you can come. And so we have those kinds of emotions. But we want to look at three things. The promise of Christ's coming, that he said he was coming back for his own. A brief little uh, a picture of what it will look like. And then... Uh, what our perspectives ought to be in light of it. Turn with me, if you will, to John 14. John 14, where some very sad men, 11 men, have been told Christ is leaving. Judas has already left the room, and these 11 men are heavy-hearted because Christ says, I am going to be betrayed. You're going to leave me. I'm leaving this place. And their hearts are overwhelmed, and they're very disturbed. And uh, then Jesus picks up. They're in the same room, the same setting. And he says in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. There's outlines for you in the bulletin. I hope that could help you, uh, to guide you through this material. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And that's beautiful. He's saying already existing 
are many rooms, and that's uh, better, better than mansions, many dwelling places. Kind of, I think of it as, uh, I've thought of it as a hotel or lots of compartments. Not sure if that's it, but there's many dwelling places already in the Father's house. But now notice how he, he makes a promise to them. He says, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm not going there to make a bunch of more dwellings. I'm going to make a place where I can get... You figure the bride of Christ has been being formed since 33 A.D. up to 2005. So he wants his bride in the same room with him. So he's preparing that place, not just hotel rooms for us, compartmentalizing heaven. The bride sits next to her beloved bridegroom for all eternity. And we're going to be in the same place. I'll prepare that. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be in heaven. Is that what it says? No. To be with me. Heaven is not just a place. It's to be with a person in a place. Lanny Wolf wrote a song, and he called it, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. I don't want the place without the person. And Christ, this is exactly what he's saying. I'll prepare the place where I will be and you will be so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But they didn't too well because Philip asked, how do you get to the place? And Jesus said, Philip, have you been around so long? I am the way to the place. (laughs) I am the truth in verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to the place. I am the person that gets you to the place where you dwell with the person forever in a place. I will come back to you as my own. And I thought of the words of General Douglas MacArthur when he was uh, in the Philippines. And we're in World War II, and the Japanese is ravishing the Philippines. Many Filipino people have fled to the mountains, hid out for months, starving to death. And MacArthur and the troops were there, and they were taking a beating. And finally, the orders was even for the United States to withdraw. And as he was withdrawing, and if you look on that Life magazine picture of him with his corncob pipe, that hat, and wading through that water, and one time he says to the Filipino people, I shall return. Hold on. Keep resisting. And then, of course, you see the other picture eventually when he comes back in 45. We've won the war. I have returned. And he goes to the Manila Bay and tells them, I told you I'd come back. I showed up. And he showed up on the deck of the Missouri and signed the Declaration of Armistice with Japan. Carolyn and I were standing on that deck one day in Pearl Harbor. just happened to be the day they were celebrating the end of the war. Stood on that kind of a tin cup of an old battleship where we signed the greeting. And Christ is telling his men, I've come the first time. I'll be coming again. I want to give you a sample of why we believe so much in the future coming of Christ because we understand biblical prophecy literally. And I give you samples of the Old Testament prophesying the first coming of Christ. And I want us just to look briefly 
just to see how it's fulfilled. And so we take the same kind of biblical interpretation to say, well, when he says he's coming again, it'll be just as literal, just as he said about his first coming. Look at, look, right there in your notes, Old Testament promises about Christ's first coming. First one, he'll be born of a virgin. Now, if you ever want to make language symbolic, this is a time. You don't really mean a virgin, do you? This is a slip of the pen, Isaiah. Uh, virgins don't have babies. There's one Jewish girl that will. And her name will be Mary. And she will be impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit while the, Spirit, the Most High God overshadows her. And if you were to ask me 20 B.C., you don't think the future of Israel and the nations is wrapped up in some virgin girl having the Messiah, do you? I'd laugh you out of town. Guess what? It happened just like God said. God can have a baby through a virgin just like he did. Because God can do anything. Two, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. And that was a shocker because Bethlehem was an insignificant kind of city on the map. Children would be slaughtered at the birth of the Messiah. What a prophecy in Jeremiah. And Herod fulfilled it, started killing all the babies under the age of two in order that Christ would not get through the net and his life be spared. But then God had a prophecy that his parents would run down to Egypt so that he could fulfill Hosea 11.1, 1, I'll call my son out of Egypt. And he did, Hosea 11.1. 1. He would enter Jerusalem. He not only enters Jerusalem in Zechariah, Zechariah said he will ride on a coat that's never been ridden on before. Has anyone ever tried to ride a horse that's never been ridden on? You need to try that sometime. We used to ride cattle. I lived off a giant road out by Parchester Village, and there's cattle out there. And my buddies, when we had nothing to do, we would go and we would ride cattle. We didn't ride them. We watched them buck us and throw us. That's why I'm still, I got that plate in my head. Uh, crazy, stupid. We used to try to ride goats. Try to ride a goat. I mean, you know, just city kids are going to have fun. It's a way to be maimed for life. But in Zechariah, Messiah just steps up, gets on the colt, and he told that colt in eternity past, you will not buck, you will not move, you will bear Messiah into the city of Jerusalem. Everything, you know why? He just whispered, this is your creator. Do as I say. And it's easier to get donkeys to cooperate than people. And he rides in the city. Not even a joke. An amazing prophecy. Well, it goes on. Uh, he would be betrayed by a friend. His disciples would forsake him. They told the exact amount of money they would pay for him. 30 pieces of silver. And you know what's interesting about that? 30 pieces of silver was the compensation rate that was set in the law of Moses for goring a slave. If your ox got loose and gored a slave, you had to pay them 30 pieces of silver. Christ went as cheap as a gored slave, but 30 pieces of silver. Potter's field bought with the silver, spit upon and scourged. Not a bone of his body would be broken. The other two thieves have their legs broken, but not Christ. 
Of course, Isaiah 53 also said a rich man would supply his uh, burial place. Hands and feet pierced, garments. It all was fulfilled just like the prophet said. Literally, gamble for his garments. He would look from the cross and see these bulls of Bashan goring him, lying. It just happened just right on time, just as literally as the prophets wrote it. Don't make God not say what he said. If he said it, heaven and earth will pass away before anything will ever keep it from happening. And you know what? It's the same about his promise. He's coming again. He is coming again, and it will be literal. And we're going to just try to show you some verses. Look at these verses about his coming again. We understand his coming again to be first for his church, and then he will come to the earth when he ends the tribulation period. So we have a two-phase understanding. Most Christianity just says he's coming back. And they don't have any other scheme out there in front. No millennium, no tribulation, no rapture. They don't buy that stuff. They, the reformers, are on, they would just say, he's coming back. We understand he gets his church in the air. And seven years later, approximately, he comes back to the earth. Even says where he comes to. His feet touch the Mount of Olives. And he comes down to Zechariah 14, says... So here's some prophecy. He shall come again. He'll come with a shout. The dead will hear his voice. Uh, come to the earth again, Acts 1.11. Mount of Olives, Zechariah. In flaming fire, Second Thessalonians. Saints be with him. The kingdoms of this world will become his. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. He'll rule over the nations. And on and on, many more. I watched a TV uh, interview here the other night with Tim LaHaye, who's putting out a Bible that has like 300 or so passages of all these prophetic uh, verses and their fulfillment. So there's, there's hundreds of them. And so we take the Bible literally when it speaks in prophetic terms because we took it literally about his first coming. We're taking just as literally about his second coming. Let's look at the First Thessalonians, maybe one of the best per perspectives on what it will look like when he comes again. That is for his church. When he comes to the earth, that'll be Revelation 19. But this is the uh, first inspired funeral sermon in the Bible. Christians were dying, and uh, the saints at Thessalonica were disturbed. What's happening to those who have died? Christ hasn't come back yet. We don't have, we don't know. So he starts out, brothers, verse 13, 413. We do not want you to be ignorant. And when God says that, that means they're ignorant. We do not want you to be ignorant, uninformed about those who fall asleep. And fall asleep is a New Testament euphemism for Christian death. It's not talking about you in the AM service. It's talking about Christian death. Fall asleep. Because a, a person that goes to sleep, it assumes awakening. It doesn't, it doesn't mean cessation. When you're asleep, you don't, we don't believe in soul sleep. You don't cease to exist when you go to sleep. Existence goes on, but there will be an awakening. So it's a euphemism. So he goes on. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, that's a good thing. Think of that. Jesus is coming again, and so have all of those saints who have fallen asleep. That's interesting. I thought my dad was up here at which are rolling hills. I've, we've got two epitaphs. I thought my dad was there. No, no, only his body is there. When he died, the immaterial part of him, spirit, soul, went to be in heaven. But when Christ comes back for his church, all the church saints are going to be coming back, spirit and soul, and they're going to be with him to see it reunited to a resurrected body. But they're hanging out with Jesus right now, and they're already getting dressed up for the return. So your loved ones that know Christ that have died, they're only, as it were, asleep, but they will return with Christ. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, wait a minute, wait, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. What are you saying? I am saying all Christians will not be dead and buried in the ground when Christ decides to come again. There will be people that will be in a morning service. They'll be alive, physically alive, and Christ will come And he's saying to these saints, don't worry. The alive saints won't beat the saints that have been buried and died. They won't beat these other folks getting to go into the air. You see, we're all so competitive. We're like Peter and John running to the tomb. They outran each other. Peter outran John. You remember that? He got to the tomb. There's some of you, you're such pushers and shovers, you want to see him first you ain't going to get to do it. Too bad, competitors, and I'm one of them. You won't even see him before the dead in Christ. We who are alive and remain will not precede those who are in the ground, precede them into the presence of the Lord. Well, well, what's the order? Who gets to see him first? Watch. I was hoping you'd ask. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Kenneth Weiss has a great treatment of this, that he says, he takes this word heaven in the Greek, being past the stratosphere, that he comes down, and Weiss has it almost figured out to feet. He's going to come close to the earth and be like this giant magnet that would draw all the dead in Christ buried at the sea, eaten by lions, eaten by sharks, spread all over this globe, burned up, hacked, spit out, wherever the saints are for 2,000 years, this Christ is going to come down. And when he comes down, he's going to act like this giant magnet and every born-again child of God from 33 AD to the last saint of the church era. Come, he's going to just draw the dead in Christ up out of the ground. The magnetic Christ. Our series is simply entitled, What in the World is Going to Happen? It is a small look at a larger series, a prophetic series, taking a look at end times. We're only able to bring you a portion of it here in January. 
The entire set is available for a gift of $10 or more to the first 50 callers each week. And of course, copies of today's program available on CD when you simply call or write to us. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us toll-free at 855-833-9864. Or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. That's 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. That's here in Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As always, you're welcome to visit Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. We'd love to see you and spend time with you face-to-face. Services are at 9 and 11 Sunday mornings. Details and directions can be found at our website, valleybible.org, or again by simply calling 855-833-9864. And again, many other resource materials and information about us can be found online at our website, valleybible.org. And when you do stop by, drop us a quick email. Let us know you paid us a visit. Better yet, Join us for worship Sunday mornings, 9 and 11. Again, details and directions are at valleybible.org or simply call 855-833-9864. This broadcast is available here on KFAX on a weekly basis as you come by and sponsor us financially and prayerfully. Linking Arms with Us continues the broadcast of Truth For Today here on KFAX, reaching thousands here in the Bay Area for the gospel of Christ. Further information can be had when you contact us at 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next week for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 